Hello, and welcome to the Good Life Community Church Podcast. Wherever you're listening, we hope that you'll be encouraged, challenged, and that you might hear the invitation to be a part of the transformative work of God. At the moment, we're in a series called Liberating Revelation, and it's been quite awesome. But if you've got some bigger questions about it, I recommend you check out our most recent Pondering episode, where Hannah chatted to Mike about some big questions they had while shaping the series. Well, this is the final part of our series on the book of Revelation. We could have spent an entire year on the book of Revelation because there's a lot to unpack. I would encourage everyone who hasn't had a chance, if you would like to, especially over the Christmas and New Year period, go to the resources page on our website. Uh, You'll see it under church. It'll say Liberating Revelation. You can click on it. There's a bunch of books and you can go and you can check out those resources and... Uh, there's some uh, really helpful things if you want to do a deep dive and there's lots of questions that you've got. We also have coming up in the coming weeks uh, a couple more podcasts, part of our Pondering series where we have conversations, uh, Hannah and myself and some other people. We've got another one with a friend of ours, uh, Jared, coming up where we're going to talk about how we understand Revelation in terms of what's happening in the Middle East and uh, that will truly be a very interesting conversation um, to have a listen to. And... uh, I just want to say at the beginning of this, thank you to this community for just your, um, for being like the Bereans. In Acts chapter 17, verse 11, it says, the Bereans were more noble than the Thessalonians, poor Thessalonians, because they were eager, they were passionate, they were excited to hear what Paul was teaching and preaching. And so they really lent in. There's a posture of, all right, we want to learn, we want to grow. And I want to affirm and encourage our community in this. But it also says, and they had a pretty good preacher, the Apostle Paul. I'm not quite at that level. Hannah could be. Greg's on his way. Um, it's a joke. Greg did an unbelievable job last week. Um, super impressed. Uh, But none of us are the Apostle Paul, and yet the Bereans went and searched the Hebrew Scriptures as they had them daily to see if what Paul was saying was true, because they were invested. They were trying to get their head in the game and their hearts in the game and understand this unfolding revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. As we begin the series, uh, as we begin the wrap-up of this series, week seven of seven weeks doing an overview of the book of Revelation. I want to make a couple of comments. Um, And the first is about unity and disagreement. A bunch of people disagree with some of the angles that we're taking in this series. And that's totally cool. That could happen on any given week. And it's a good thing. Because if you're going to be a good Berean, you're going to listen eagerly and you're going to check diligently. But there is diversity of opinions and views. You, you don't have to leave church over it unless it's at such a level that it's causing so much grief to the way you practice your faith in Christ that it will be important for you to find a community where you think, I could fully worship God in this way there. I, I don't think there's too many people probably going to be in that scenario. But what I actually see is when we disagree on hot topics or hot issues, our posture is, We disagree, so we seek to be curious and learn and understand why other people hold other views without calling people heretics unless it's a heresy, which has pretty much always got to do with the deity of who Christ is, not a difference of opinion 
on how you interpret something, so to speak. Now, should we fight for truth? Yes, but the way we fight isn't by the systems of this world. It's by loving and listening and following the way of the Lamb and engaging. So if you disagree, that's fine. We were still worshipping eight weeks ago together. Now you just know what a bunch of us all think. The scary thing is, all the things we all don't know that we all think, but we still worshipped incredibly this morning. Because you know what unites us? It's Christ and the Holy Spirit that binds us together. Not whether we all believe or have the same ideas about everything, because I promise you we do not. And that changes all the time. Because one week you're like, oh, I really think this. And next week you're like, oh, gosh, I don't know if I think like that anymore. And if every time we thought differently or you thought different to your neighbor, you went, well, I'm going to have to go find another church or maybe start one and continue on the tradition of the Protestant faith of just, let's just go start another denomination because we found a tiny little thing that we're different on and we'll be the one true right community. I mean, good luck with that. Um, I can't bless it, but good luck with it. Um, And so the attitude and the spirit of this series is, let's be a community that are open, that are curious, that are wrestling with Scripture. That's what we've tried to emphasize over and over again. And I want to thank you for for doing that and doing it in a spirit of humility. All right, I want to begin by reading the last, in the last chapter of the book of Revelation. We started this series from reading from chapter 1, and it's the account of John on the island of Patmos, He's been put away for his rebellion against the authorities for the sake of Jesus Christ. And on this island, he has this revelation and this encounter with Jesus, and he writes down what he sees. And as he writes it down, he draws on the rich imagery and message from the prophets of the Old Testament, as we understand it, and what he's seeing in this experience that he's having. It's an apocalyptic literature and style and genre of writing. And the book, as we've been saying, is really a letter that would be sent out to seven churches in Asia Minor, seven churches that we could say now are representative of so much of the history of all of God's people. But yet, nevertheless, specific messages for these seven churches that they would all hear together. And so he writes it down and he says, blessed are those who read and in a paraphrased way, live out the message of this letter, this revelation of Jesus Christ. And the message unfolds and it begins by showing us who Christ is his beauty, his majesty, that he's the one who has authority to tell us how the unfolding of history has, is, and will be. And each of these churches gets a different message. Some of them, as we heard when Hannah was teaching, get a message of encouragement to be faithful as they endure persecution and suffering for faithfully following the way of the Lamb. Some of the churches get a rebuke. They're challenged because they've allowed the tentacles of empire to get to latch onto them as a community and they have begun to compromise 
and live out the values of the systems and structures of this world that are oppressive and selfish and self-centered and the very opposite to the way of love displayed in Christ. And they hear strong words of challenge from Jesus. And from these first letters, we see a glimpse and a picture of the different attributes of the beauty of who Christ is in each part of these seven letters to these seven churches. And it's a humbling thing because each church will hear all of this message. I often wonder what would God say to us, to our church? I sure hope he would say, well done, keep being faithful. Keep being courageous. Keep separating yourself from the the systems and the structures of this world that seek to oppress and bring about injustice and instead live your lives continually following the Lamb into new creation. I hope we hear those words. But may we listen to the words of warning where parts of our living or parts of our faith may be corrupted or influenced by the systems of this world. And that is why we need to keep coming back to this extraordinary story and this book that has great meaning and challenge for us. From there, we went into chapters four and five where John has this extraordinary vision. It's almost like the curtain is peeled back and he begins to see the heavenly realms. And it's in symbol and apocalyptic style. This is not literal as we've been explaining. And so we have to see everything through symbol And look for the core principles that we're to learn and understand. And he sees the throne room of God and all of the worship that's taking place. And we were saying that the the centering vision of the entire book of Revelation is the picture of who God is. What is God like? And the question that's asked at the beginning of chapter 5 is, John says, who is worthy to open the seals that's going to tell us the oracles of God? And he's upset because there seems no, that there is no one worthy. And then someone comes forward and says, there is someone. He's from the tribe of Judah, which is a symbol and a sign that Jesus is the Messiah, the promised one that they've been hearing about for so long. And he says he's the Lion of Judah. And when John turns around to look at the Lion of Judah, in fact, he doesn't see a lion He sees a lamb, a slaughtered little lamb with seven eyes, which is a radical symbol in its day. It's a sign and a symbol that tells us that our God expressed in Christ Jesus is totally unlike the rulers of this world who are seen as powerful and strong And this is the mystery and the wisdom and the wonder of God. All of the people in this picture worship the Lamb. They bow down and over and over again, they sing what we sang this morning. Holy, 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 worthy is the Lamb. And they're caught up in this extraordinary, ecstatic sense of wonder and worship at who God is and what He is like. And 28 times in the book of Revelation, there is reference to this Lamb of God. As we've joked and mentioned a few times, it's not the symbol that you're going to pick for your sporting team. Hey, we're the lamb team. It sounds weak and puny. 
But this is the wonder of God and the gospel that the things of this world are flipped upside down. And we see in God the great victory and the power of God is not shown in the conquering of God's enemies in the way that the world operates, but by the laying down of life in cross-shaped sacrificial love. This is the way. And this is the centering vision of the whole book. And yet, these churches are suffering. These churches are struggling under the oppression that the, the book calls is Rome. Oh, sorry, Babylon, which the first hearers knew was a symbol that represented the Roman Empire for them. And as they suffer and they struggle under this oppressive empire, they cry out to God for mercy. And when you're oppressed, you're not saying cute little prayers like, oh God, just restore my enemies. You're like, God, bring vengeance down. This was their cry out of their frustration because this is what happens to oppressed people. They cry out for God to bring justice and to deal with evil. And this is not in any way to undermine Jesus' message that we're to love our enemies as he actually does and did and continues to do. But this is to tap into the raw cry of oppressed peoples. And then we see the unfolding unfolding. Uh, quite dramatic symbolism of the three sets of sevens of tribulation, of judgment, of what's going to happen in the world, which is seen as empire's consequence is coming back on itself. This is divine consent to the consequences of what happens. When you sow evil, you reap evil. And yet all through these chapters of chapters 6 to chapter 19 of the book of Revelation, there there are these 10 interludes that we were saying are these pauses. We're in the midst of struggle and trial and battle. There's these glimpses of the throne room where the people get to see the heavenly realm and they get to encounter God in worship. And as we're going to mention in a minute, we're going to talk about the power and the beauty of worship that sustains the faithful through challenges. And then the end of the book ends climactically in chapters 20, 21, and 22 with God finally dealing with Babylon and evil. We see in chapter 18 that God deals with Babylon Falls and the people that are caught up in the the benefits of empire, they're weeping and they're grieving and they're so sad because everything they've attached themselves to is falling. And God calls these people to come out and be apart from Babylon. And then in chapter 19 and 20, we see God decisively dealing with evil once and for all, coming back, not for a literal battle of Armageddon, where there is a literal battle where Christians or the followers of the way fight against the forces of evil in the world. No, look carefully at the scripture. No literal battle ever happens. Even symbolically, no literal battle ever happens. The forces of the world come and they gather to fight because that's all they know and that's what they do. But what happens in the final chapters is we see the symbolism of the white horse where Jesus comes 
And yes, he has a sword because it's the symbols that the people of its day understand. But the sword is not like the swords of this world. The sword protrudes from his mouth. Because the weapon that God uses is not physical violence. The weapon that God uses is the words of truth. And he judges those who refuse to bow to the way of the Lamb. And they reap the consequences and we know that the story is actually a story of hope because when this book was written, there were only small pockets of believers. But this story is telling these small pockets of believers in these churches that there will be myriads and multitudes of people who will actually turn to the way of the Lamb. They will be transformed. They will be changed. And the last chapters tell us and paint this beautiful picture for us of the kings of the world coming to the great city of God, which is the symbol of new creation, is the symbol of God making all things new, full restoration. God is now amongst his people in the renewed earth. Heaven and earth comes together, as Tom Wright says, like a marriage. And we see the garden in the book of Genesis now as a garden city civilization has grown and developed. God's not against cities, but what he is for is the flourishing of humanity in the world. And now God is central there. He rules and he reigns, and there can be no place for evil. Those who want to continue in evil cannot enter into the city that's gates are always open, which is a sign of hope. And what we see is, in these final chapters, the kings of the earth come and they walk by and they bring all that they have and they walk into the city. This speaks of hope. This speaks of restoration. This speaks of God is up to something incredible. This is not God getting upset and angry and going, right, that's it. I'm wiping you all out. No. This is God's intent through warnings of judgment and then ultimately for those who refuse to respond to those warnings, they get what they want. But those who respond to the Lamb in worship, and I believe the call to that is so powerful. When you see the glory and the wonder of the gospel, not only spoken, but lived out by the faithful followers of the way, our hearts are humbled as we see happens in the book of Revelation. And you see the kings and the leaders and the nations being healed. And here we have chapter 22, verses 1 to 5. It says, Then the angel showed me, this is John, the river of the water of life, as, crystal as, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God. This is now on earth, by the way, and of the Lamb. Down the middle of the great street of the city, on each side of the river, stood the tree of life. I was trying to imagine that. You ever seen a tree that turns up on both sides of the river? Interesting. Bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. What is God's heart? It's the healing of the nations. Everyone, every tribe, every nation, every people. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city and his servants will serve him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. 
This is the seal and the sign of God that we read about in Revelation chapter 7. Because God's people are marked, and the mark of the beast that we read about is a counterfeit mark, where the beast wants to control people and say, you're part of our economy, our system. But we're invited not to participate in the symbol of the empires of this world, but to actually be marked by the beauty and the wonder of our God, the Lamb of God. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Amen. I want to finish the series today by giving us three short challenges. And they're around this idea. We said that this whole series, big idea and big point is this. It's a call for us to follow the Lamb into new creation. And it's worth emphasizing and pointing out that this is not just some future thing that happens down the track. It began the day that Jesus died on the cross and he rose again, conquering sin and death, making all things new. New creation was born and begun that day and Jesus invited from that moment his disciples empowered by the Holy Spirit of God to actually be part of this new creation and this restoration beginning process. And we've been saying throughout the series that it is not yet fully complete. We live in the now, but not yet. But we are to participate now in the coming of that kingdom of heaven on earth as Jesus asked us to pray. This is why every day I want to pray. And it's so regularly my daily prayer. May your kingdom come. May your will be done on earth. We said in weeks one and two, the story of the book of Revelation is not an escapist story about a rapture that doesn't appear in the book at all, where God's people take off outside of persecution, tribulation, trial, or through a period of judgment on the nations, but they are present and they faithfully endure and some lose their lives for their faithfulness to the gospel and to the Lamb. But this is a story of encouragement and hope that as they faithfully follow the way of the Lamb, they walk towards the new Jerusalem, the city of God, the garden city, the new creation being restored. So that every single thing that you and I do, it matters, it counts, and it goes into the future that God is bringing about. The three things that we want to finish with today is this. We are called as God's people through this book it's a great summary I heard um, from one of Hannah's lecturers. I listened to a podcast and this amazing teacher, she said, we're called as his people to worship, to witness and to wait. And when I heard her say that, I went, oh, that's such a great way to sum up the calling and the challenge of this book for us. And so I want to unpack this just for a few moments. We'll begin with the first point here about our role as a worshiping community. Worship is key and central to Revelation's message. If you don't, haven't already experienced this in your life, worship transforms us when we worship with full body, with our mind, with our voice, with our entire life, the way we manage our finances, the way we parent our children, the way we love our spouse, the way we relate to our friends, 
the way we go to work. Everything we do as, is as an expression of worship and adoration to the Lamb of God, the creator of the universe. Interestingly, in the book of Revelation, though worship encompasses all of these elements, there are nine songs in the book of Revelation. We've got these up on this slide. If you want to take a quick photo or you can get the slides later on, we'll try and make them available. Someone remind me about that. But nine different times throughout the book of Revelation, we have these songs. And really helpfully, Scott McKnight, who's written a, a very recent book on the book of Revelation, uh, which is really worth looking at, he says this, these songs in the book of Revelation are often called hymns. But we join others, he says, that think this term is not entirely accurate. Why, he says? Because hymns are the music we sing in a life of comfort very often. These songs in Revelation were not the music of the comfortable, but the cries of the oppressed. I heard a podcast a week and a half ago with a Palestinian pastor and theologian in the West Bank in Israel who talks about his reality as a Palestinian Christian and how he feels forgotten by the West. He feels unseen. He feels like his life and his people are not part of God's plan of restoration very often in the way things are phrased. We're going to unpack this in a podcast discussion in the next few weeks. But he relates to the idea that in the book of Revelation, these are songs that people who feel like they are, have no future, they latch onto because they're deep cries of worship and declaration and hope when it feels like there is no hope. The songs in Revelation, McKnight says, were not the music of the comfortable, but the cries of the oppressed. They are not the songs of simple praise for redemption, but pleadings for justice. These songs interrupt scenes of persecution, of battle and judgment. They shift our focus from the conditions of earth to reveal the realities of heaven. And this is what so often our worship and our singing does. They transform oppressed believers from fearful disciples. This is what its point was in the book of Revelation. Transforming fearful disciples into faithful and courageous people who challenge life in Babylon. Worship is not passive, it's active. It's not just a thought process, it's every aspect of us expressing our hope expressing truth, expressing life. Scott McKnight goes on to unpack the fact that uh, there are a bunch of different styles in these songs, and we'll pop this up on the screen just as a little example that we see here. There are sayings, there is singing, there is an ode, there's a crying out, there are utterings of oi and woe, there is splendoring the name of God, there's shouting hallelujah, there's rejoicing exuberantly. And then we go on and we see the physical expressions. And again, these are symbols and pictures. This is not a law. This is not how you have to worship in a church service. But I tell you what, it's pretty inspiring. 
to say what does it mean for us to bring our full selves in the way that we see expressed in these nine songs. We see on the following slide, there is the bowing down, the tossing of their crowns to God, the encircling the throne of God, there's standing and there's holding palm branches, there's using instruments to make music, and there is the great uttering of amen, and we heard some of that this morning. Wasn't that an amazing time of worship and singing this morning? Gosh, this is the power and the beauty of worship. And it becomes subversive because when we worship the God of the Lamb, we increasingly see the difference between the Lamb and the beasts of Babylon. We can pick it out. We can tell the difference. The more you focus on something, the more you realize, ah, this other counterfeit is nothing like the real thing. I want to finish with these last two points and I'll kind of pull them together by saying that we're not just called to be a worshiping community, but we're called to be a witnessing community. And we're called to witness in the way of the Lamb. In other words, our lives are meant to verbally affirm our allegiance to the Lamb. We're meant to live our lives daily in the way of the Lamb. In chapter 18, it says, come out from Babylon. In other words, don't be part of Babylon's style and system and structure. In other words, that means we get our parenting style, our marriage style, our friendship style and influence, the way we work, the way we serve humanity, not from the world systems and leaders and influences, but by those who symbolize what the love of God expressed in Christ is. That should shape the way that we do everything that we do. And man, what a learning journey that is. And as part of our witness, we realize that we're gonna face resistance there may be suffering for being faithful because when people are threatened by your acts of justice and peacemaking and mercy because their system is undermined, let me assure you, people aren't always happy about that. If you engage in stopping the slave trades that are taking place all throughout the world, someone's angry. Someone's losing potentially billions of dollars because God's people say, this is not the way of our Savior and our King. Amen. The invitation as witnesses of God is to see new creation with eyes of faith, spirit-inspired imagination. It's about to look at your neighborhood through the eyes of the new creation that is breaking through and look for glimpses of God's new city breaking through in your community. What would it look like if it was to fully take place? And then as a result, what's your role in that? Yesterday, we met a family at Gympie who told us this amazing story that their children and them every Thursday go into the town and they serve the poor and the homeless in their community. They make up meals because they went past and they saw them and they said, this is unacceptable. So as a family, they decided to live in the way of the lamb and do something about what looks like the breaking in of God's kingdom coming more and more and more. What does it look like in your community? in your street, in your workplace, wherever you see hell to bring heaven. A few years ago, when I first um, came here and joined the team here, I shared a message. Um, no one will probably remember it, but the message title and theme of the message was called Thank God You're Here, which was based off the television series. It's back on again uh, after they heard that I did that message. They went, clearly, 
Uh, there's a, there's a, like a lot of people want this, so I, um, yeah, happy to, I don't even need any royalties for that, it's fine. Um, but anyway, so we, we, we got some momentum with that, but the point of the message was to say, like Matthew 5, 14 and 16, and I'll invite the musicians to come forwards, we're called to be salt and light in the world. We're called to live in such a way that people don't go, oh my goodness, unless we're breaking over injustice and oppression, we're clearly they're going to say, get away. You're ruining our system. Outside of that, the majority of people who aren't engaged in that should be saying, oh, thank God you're here. Not annoying Christians have just rocked up again with blaring headlights that you can't see. It's like just not helpful as opposed to the helpful light of the world that shows people what love and mercy and justice and kindness looks like everywhere we go, every single day. The final challenge of this series is that we not only worship, but we witness through our lives, but we faithfully wait for the full completion of God's kingdom on earth as is in heaven. Things are not as they should be in this world. You know that. We're not facing the kind of war and oppression that the Middle East and the Ukraine and Russia and in Africa and different parts of the world and, and all the crime-based challenges in South America. But we have a lot of challenges in our country. We have some of the highest suicide rates in the world. We have marriages that struggle every single day. And this is not to judge anyone. This is to say we need lamb-like love in our lives. And we need to be transformed through our worship and our witness. And we need to faithfully wait. But this waiting is not passive and sitting back and watching. This is an active waiting where we actively serve in the way of Jesus. And I want to finish the series by reading these last two scriptures for us. And I want to invite you to stand to your feet as I read these scriptures. The first is from Paul's letter to the Corinthians. In chapter 15, where he talks about our resurrection hope. Of literal resurrected bodies where those who are resting will come to life and those who have not yet gone to rest will be transformed. Look at the words of hope in this passage. Paul writes, But let me reveal to you a wonderful secret. We will not all die, but we will all be transformed. It will happen in a moment, in the blink of an eye, when the last trumpet is blown. For when the trumpet sounds, those who have died will be raised to life forever. And we who are living will also be transformed. For our dying bodies must be transformed into bodies that will never die. Our mortal bodies must be transformed into immortal bodies. Then when our dying bodies have been transformed into bodies that will never die, this Scripture will be fulfilled. Oh, how good is this? Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? For sin is the sting that results in death and the law gives sin its power. But thank God, He gives us victory over sin and death through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And then this last verse, which is so challenging for us at the end of this series, says, 
So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord. For you know that nothing that you do for the Lord is ever useless. Every single act of care and mercy and compassion, of kindness, of love, of forgiveness. It's part of the new creation that's breaking forth everywhere and will one day be fully complete. And we get to be part of it. So let's be strong and immovable and not give up. Let's be faithful in following the Lamb into new creation. And let's remember these final words in the book of Revelation chapter 22, the final chapter. This is the invitation for everyone here and for every person on the planet, no matter what tribe, nation or people. It doesn't matter who. May they hear these beautiful words of grace. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who's thirsty, come. And let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. Oh, may we come and experience that. That's for everyone here. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Good Life Podcast today. Remember that you can stay up to date with the podcast by subscribing on whichever platform you're listening to right now. If you're interested in our ongoing conversation where we're delving deeper and asking questions about what we're talking about on Sundays, be sure to check out the Pondering episodes in the same feed. Otherwise, we would love it if you could like, follow, and even give us a five-star review. It all helps in getting the good news out there. You can also head to our website, goodlife.org.au or our YouTube for video content and resources. Until next time, peace.